church. Come on, man. Let's put our hands together. We got a lot to be thankful for today. Let's also, uh, let's welcome everyone at the Scottsdale campus, at the Santan campus. You joining us online at Cornerstone Online, as well as everybody at the 5 o'clock service right here in Chandler. Come on, let's give it up. Welcome them into our experience today. So glad to have you guys here. My name is Scott Rogers, and I want to welcome all of you at all the campuses who might be here for your very first time here at Cornerstone Church. We're just thrilled that you decided to take some time out of your day and out of your weekend to come on out and worship with us. And we really do pray that when you walk out of here the next few minutes that uh, your life is encouraged and your life is enhanced in some way when you leave here today. So we're so excited that you're here. Let's give it up again. Come on. We like to celebrate around here. We like to clap and encourage people. And today... We begin a short, brand new, three-week series called The Joy of Christmas. Is there anybody here, Scottsdale, Santan, anybody that says, I love the holidays. I'm glad they're here. I'm all about it. I mean, anybody, come on. Let me hear you. Let me see a whole bunch of you. I love the holidays. I love, and as a kid, I love Christmas. I mean, as a kid, I was all in for Christmas. Every year, my mom would make these little candy cane-shaped sugar cookies, and she'd put the green and the red little ribbon stripe thing on them, and they were so good. She'd make fudge. Anybody like fudge? Man, fudge is... Man, and I, and I haven't stopped eating it since, as you can tell. I just can't get away from the stuff. And it, but it was so good. I loved what she would bake on Christmas. And then, of course, what kid doesn't love the gifts and the presents? And that is just the way to live right there is Christmas. I love Christmas. But then, later in my life, something happened. I gave my life to Christ. I became what is called a Christian. And something happened to me with Christmas. And you might be thinking, well, of course, Scott, now it took Christmas to a whole new level. He's the reason for the season, right? And now as a follower of Christ, Christmas must have taken on a whole new meaning for you. But it didn't. Here's what happened. I was hanging around some very well-meaning people who were Christ followers, and whenever Christmas would come up in that time of year, they'd say things like, oh, here we go again. It's becoming so commercialized. I mean, the commercials are on on Halloween, and, and don't talk about Halloween in church, you know, because that's the devil's day and all this stuff, and you can't have a good time at Christmas. It's so secularized, and blah, 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 blah. And what, what was once a joyful time for me, I started to not like it all. And you'd think, well, man, you know what Christmas is all about. It's about Christ. But I was like, yeah, but they're taking Christ out of Christmas. You know what they're doing. Those bad people, they're taking him out of the whole thing. And I, 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 soon, I was like the Scrooge. I was a follower of Jesus, but when it came Christmas time, I was like the Scrooge, you know, honoring and upset and all that stuff. And a few years ago, I decided, you know, it's no fun being the Scrooge. It's no fun having no fun in the holiday season. I'm taking Christmas back for me in my life, and I'm going to revisit what it's all about and what it's going to do in my life. So I just took it back. So my question to you is, in this short series, The Joy of Christmas, we're going to take Christmas back. Are you in? Do you want to take Christmas back in your life? Let's do this thing. So what we would do in the Rogers household, we have Shelly and our three kids and every year we had a little tradition. We don't have a lot of traditions in our house, but every year on Christmas morning we'd have this little tradition. And what would happen is I would get up, first one up, and of course I'd have to brew that really dark roast pot of coffee. I mean, that's from Jesus all day long. Get that going. And then 
we would make uh, cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning. We still do it. Anybody like cinnamon rolls? I mean, come on, that is like going to be in heaven. And cinnamon rolls, so we'd get the cinnamon rolls going. Kids would get up, get around the tree to open up the presents. And every year, this is what I would do. Before we opened presents, even before we op- ate the cinnamon rolls, we'd sit down around the tree in front of the gifts, and I would read the Christmas story to them. It's in Luke chapter 2. It's often referred to as the Christmas story. So today, I want to welcome you into the Rogers house. Can't you smell the cinnamon rolls? Smelling good? The coffee? Maybe hot chocolate? And open up your Bible, if you have it with you, to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read some of this. While you're turning there, I want to thank everyone at all the campuses who are participating in this Angel Tree Project. Guys, this is so cool what you're doing here. I know you're one of the most missional, generous churches around, yet Angel Tree is the great expression to say, you know, there are some people that might be sitting right next to me who aren't able to experience Christmas like I do and enjoy it as much as I may be able to enjoy it. And this is our opportunity to make an immediate difference in someone's life by going out to the Angel Tree uh, in your lobby before you leave, grabbing one or two or three of those, those tags and getting involved in some people's lives with some gifts. And here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Some of you guys just grow out and grab the whole tree and take all 50 tags on there and make it happen. But let's do that as a church. Let's bless some folks this Christmas through every single campus. Now, are you at Luke chapter 2? Okay, so we would do, we'd sit around the tree, and before we open the gifts, Dad's going to read the Christmas story. And uh, let me walk you through the first five verses without even reading them. Basically, uh, the Roman leaders say, we're going to do a count. We're going to make a census of all the people. So what would happen in that day is that the people would have to go to their hometown to be counted uh, with their hometown. So Joseph and Mary, you've heard of them. Some of you have. Joseph and Mary are going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They're engaged but not married. And Mary is nine months pregnant. Little scandal going on there in the old house in their place. So they're going nine months pregnant, and in verse six, we're going to pick it up. Now, I have never read this much text at Cornerstone before. We're going to read 15 verses. So it's my job to keep you awake, but if someone next to you starts dozing off, don't nap, don't just don't don't do the elbow, just punch them in the throat, wake them up, because we're going to get through this, okay? So here's what it says, verse 6. It says, while they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Wouldn't you be? Right? I mean, My goodness. So verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then it says, suddenly uh, a company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest of heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I mean, what would you say? You have an angelic visitation, and they speak to you, and they go up into heaven. What would you, I'd be saying, like, holy, you know what, right? So he goes on, he says, it says, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
Verse 16. You still with me? Santan, you still with me? All right, thank you, Santan. So verse 16 says, So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And every Christmas, we would read this. And in fact, we still do. And we sit around the tree, I read the Christmas story, and every year when I finish up in verse 20, I'm curious as to what's going to happen next. Every year I wonder, okay, are the kids now going to ask me that deep, meaningful, spiritual question? One of them going to say, hey, Dad, could you go back up to verse 8 and reread that? Because God's word really spoke to me when you read that. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? And every single year, the response has been the same. I read through verse 20, I close the Bible, and they say, Can we open the presents? Can we open the presents now? Can I get one? I want mine first. I want mine first. And they go right after it. They never even ask any questions. It kind of just gets it out of the way, and they're going under the tree. Let's open the presents now. Never pause, but today, we're going to pause. And I know you don't have any presents, but you enjoy the cinnamon rolls while I talk. I've got a captive audience, and I'm going to tell you for the next 20 minutes what I've always wanted to tell my kids on Christmas morning after I read this that I never had the chance to do, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the Christmas story. And basically, to start this whole thing out, we start saying the joy of Christmas, it really begins with this core reality is that the joy of Christmas is the joy of God with us. Now, what I just read in Luke chapter 2, the problem with that text is that it's kind of been uh, sequestered or delegated to being a children's story. It's in kids' books, the little cardboard books with the cartoon illustrations, and you've got Joseph and Mary, and, the, and you've got the donkeys and the little stable and the manger. It's like it's taken on the tone of a fairy tale, and it's just become something just for the kids. Think of this. Now, the kid, you know, hey, God got Mary preggies, you know, what's that mean, you know, that whole virgin birth thing. But it's a children's story is what we use it for. But does it have to stay there? Because the Christmas story is not only the greatest story that's ever been told, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth. Yet when we say it's the children's story, well, Joseph and Mary were going to Bethlehem. Mary was pregnant. Now, imagine being Joseph. They're, they're, uh, they're going to get married, but they're not married yet. They're engaged. And in that culture, it was even much more expected that you would not have sex before marriage. That was in the confines of marriage, which is entirely biblical. But in that day, it was a social uh, norm as well. And so could you just imagine Joseph and the guys hanging out, eating some pizza, watching the game, and one of the guys says, hey, Joe, I notice Mary's uh, starting to bloom a little bit. What's going on with that? And Joseph's like, I don't know, you know, whatever. She's just been, you know, it's the holidays. She's eating. <laughs> She's eating a lot. You know, Joe, come on, man. I mean, you know, we, we, we get the deal. And Joseph's like, oh, just keep it on the down low, would you? Joseph, what? What happened? 
And, and Joseph says, well, I didn't do it. And the guys are, all right, okay, we got you. We got, we got you back. We got you covered. No, really, I didn't do it. An angel did it. Imagine their response. Right? Oh, yeah, all right. No, God got Mary pregnant. Oh, gotcha, man. It's good with us. We're going to keep it. We're going to keep it quiet. Just imagine that whole conversation going on. But we tell the kids, Mary and Joseph, they go. There's no room at the inn, so they're thrown out into the barn. Mary has baby Jesus. Put him in the, the, the manger, and, you know, the, angel, the angels come, and the shepherds, and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the story. We don't, we don't tend to break that open at the Tuesday morning Bible study in the boardroom. We don't say at men's retreats, all right, men, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. Because in our minds, it's like the kid's story with the coloring sheets that go along with it. But if that's the kid's version, I'm going to bring you to the adult version of the Christmas story. So take your Bible, open it up to John chapter 1. Because at the same time, in the natural and the outward, we have a baby being born and being laid, laid in a manger in a cold barn we have something incredibly supernatural and uh, monumental happening in the spiritual realm. So if you turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 14. And uh, here's what it says. It says, the word became flesh. Now pause right there. Because if you back up, and I encourage you to read it sometime, the beginning of the book of John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God. It's basically referring to Jesus right there, as the Word. So as we go down to verse 14, we see it says, the Word became flesh, meaning Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his what? Made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now isn't it great that Jesus has come with full of amazing grace and unbending truth all at the same time? But it says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. That's an incredible thing. Basically, the reason the Christmas story is the greatest thing that's ever happened is because God became a man. He became like us. He became one of us. He did something unimaginable by becoming a man to do something that is unbelievable by going, saying, I'm going to live like them and I'm going to die in their place. I'm going to go to the cross to pay the price for their sin to bring them back into relationship with me. God became a man so that he could die in our place. That's really what the Christmas story is. God is with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But here's the dilemma. Back up and look in verse 10. If you have a Bible in front of you. Here's what it says. It says, he was in the world, again, speaking of Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him or did not know him. Imagine that. Imagine being alive in that day and God supernaturally becomes human, walks amongst you, and you don't even know it. You don't even recognize him. Now before we start giving those folks a bad rap for not paying attention and not recognizing that God was in their midst, just think about this for a moment. Uh, I'll say it this way. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas gifts. I mean, it was all about the gifts. And my parents, whenever they would get the gifts, look, well, depending on where you think the gifts come from, children, let's just say when the gifts came in, 
when the gifts would come in, they wouldn't wait till Christmas Eve and throw them all under the tree. They would kind of bring them in one by one as they got on, as they wrapped them. So the couple weeks before Christmas, they'd get two under there, four under there, six. Never a ton, but always enough to make a kid salivate and wonder what was under the tree. And there's those gifts that you look at under the tree, you know what they are. You just can't get around it. It gives itself away. You know what some of the gifts are under the tree. Right? You just can't hide it. You're not walking up to the, this thing going, what is in there? What is that? Oh, is it, is it aluminum or wood? That's the only thing you'd be wondering. Some gifts are just easy to see. I mean, what, I, you know, football. Of course, the Arizona Cardinals know exactly what this is. The Seattle Seahawks are trying to figure out what it is. But it's a football. It's a football. You just know what it is. You got it. But then there's those gifts that drive you crazy, and they're in the box. And you can't tell unless you... Oh, okay, it's not underwear. No underoos this time. And you start to look at it, and you're thinking, man, what? And you start to kind of peel it up and hope the tape is loose so you can see what the box might look like. And you ever have your parents like, get away from that tree. Put those gifts down. Get away from them. You can't, you're not supposed to tell what they are. When you're, you're sneaking in there, and you're looking at them. And what is this? What is this? And that's what happened when God became a man. Divinity wrapped itself in humanity and looked just like you, looked just like me. God became a human being. Now, at this point, I've got to be honest and acknowledge this sounds like a fairy tale. Yet every single one of us in our life has to wrestle with what we believe about what I'm saying. Did God really do this? Did he become a man? Because if he did, and he is Jesus, I've got to do business with that reality. If he hasn't become a man, and this is all a fairy tale, let's just have a blast and enjoy the holidays because it is pretty fun. But scripture says, and many of you would attest to what he's done in your own life, and you'd say, God has become a man. He wrapped himself in humanity, and it was hard to, know, to, to notice him or to recognize him because he looked just like you. He looked just like me until he turned water into wine. And he started performing miracles. By the way, did you ever think about that? Jesus' first miracle were, was cocktails. <laughs> In the previous service, someone said, yeah! They were like, all right, a party, man. Interesting thought, right? Don't email me about it. This is what the Bible says. Jesus started performing miracles, turning water into wine, healing people who were paralyzed so they could walk, raising the dead, healing people with leprosy, multiplying food, walking on water, man. And so it became very apparent to those close to him, something different about this guy. There's something different about this guy. And we have the advantage of looking back and having the perspective of, oh, you know what was different about that guy? He was not just a guy. He was God in the flesh, dwelling amongst us, walking on this earth so that he could ultimately go to the cross for Easter and be risen and become our Savior and bring us back into a relationship with God. The story of Christmas is really the story of God with us. But here's where I wrestled with that. Like I, I knew I'd get to this point in our conversation, but I thought, okay, what, what do we do tomorrow with this? If we embrace this, God became a man. He dwelt amongst us. Okay, what difference is that going to make in my life when I walk into the office tomorrow morning? What difference is that going to make 
in my life when I walk back onto campus and I go to school? What difference is it going to make? Well, in reality, it makes all the difference. In a practical sense, that's where each of us have to wrestle with this. Because here's the deal. Living life knowing that God is with you, it will change you. And it will change how we approach this life. It will change how we view this life. Because God, he came from eternity into the temporary to focus our sights back onto eternity. And when we know that he is with us, and by his spirit, he will never forsake us, we can walk through a lot of things without fear and with peace and with hope. Maybe you're going through a great season in your life right now. And if so, that is awesome. I love the great seasons. But even with that, this life is temporary. And as good as it gets, this life at its best without Christ is really no better than an appetizer. And it's a good appetizer. But life without Christ is that's all it's going to be. Maybe you're going through a difficult season right now. And knowing that this is temporary and my situation is temporary, and you can walk through this because God's going to walk through it with you. He may not bail you out like we wish he would or in the way that we think he will, but he will walk with us through this time. We talk about joy and really happiness is the result of circumstances going our way. Joy is the result of the presence of God in our life. God can literally, and some of you know this, he can literally give us joy in spite of the circumstances. He can fill us with hope regardless of what's going on around us because God has become a man and he's dwelt amongst us and now because he's risen, he's poured out his spirit on the earth and we ask Christ into our life, the spirit of God resides within us and he is with us, never to leave us and we set our sights on that and our hope on that. I was speaking at a church in, in uh, our community, in my neighborhood, uh, in Folsom, California, just a couple weeks ago, just outside of Sacramento, and um, at a friend's church. And it was a Sunday afternoon. Got done. Monday comes, the very next day, and I was thinking about Cornerstone. I was thinking about coming out here, and um, it's like, man, i got to clean myself up. I'm going to Cornerstone. i got to trim off my Tim Beal beard and <laughs> cut the Lynn Winters ponytail and take a bath and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to Cornerstone in a couple of weeks. i got to figure, figure this thing out. And so it's Monday morning after I spoke at my friend's church in town. I call up uh, the barbershop. I'm like, i got to get a haircut. I know it's not much to cut, but i still got to get a cut every now and then. So I'm going to call the barbershop up, and the place that I go is called Barber John's. And it's this really uh, cool place. A bunch of guys in there that give haircuts. They're all tatted up, and they ride like they're Harleys, I think, into, to give the haircuts. And the place has all these crazy stuff hanging on the wall. And even if the haircut isn't the greatest, the stories are awesome that you hear in this place. And you go in. There's no appointments. It's all walk-in, and it's cash only. I don't know what they do with the cash, but it's just cash only. <laughs> and Barbara John is the guy who I go to ask to cut my hair. So I call him up one, that Monday morning, a couple weeks previous to today, and uh, I'm like, hey, man, can I get a haircut today? Is Barbara John in? And the guy on the other end of the phone says, well, hold on. He just walked in. He's talking really loud. And he, you can tell, he put the phone down a little, and he says, hey, John, are you giving any haircuts today? 
And I can hear John's voice in the background. He says, well, who is it? <laughs> and the guy says, I don't know, some guy. I'm listening to this whole conversation. And so all of a sudden the phone kind of makes a noise and picks up Ms. John's voice. He says, yeah, hey, who is this? And I said, hey, it's Scott Rogers. Can I come in and get a haircut? Oh, yeah, Scott. Come on in, man. Come on right over. I was like, all right, cool. Hang up the phone. And total truth, if I'm lying, I'm dying. As soon as I you know, hung up my cell phone, my wife Shelly sends me a text, comes through right in that moment. She says, did you hear the news? Barbara John's daughter passed away. And I was just like, um, I just talked to the guy. Are you kidding me? I just talked to him. So I text her back and, yeah, hey, I just talked to him. When did that happen? She said yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. He had an adult daughter. She's, I think, late 20s. Had battling a sickness, been battling a sickness for a long time, had succumbed to that sickness and passed on Sunday afternoon. And so I'm thinking, what's he doing cutting hair today? And probably, you know, we all grieve differently. And part of his response was to stay busy. And so I just assume he's staying busy. So I drive over to the place, I walk in, and I walk up to him. And it's one of those, they kind of, you know, I walk up and I'm like face to face like this with him, because that's kind of how they communicate there. Face to face, I said, dude. I said, you're not cutting my hair. I just heard what happened. Man, I am so sorry. And I offered my condolences and, and talked for a moment. And he stares at me. He says, you know, and he's a follower of Christ. He says, he says, Scott, if God wants you to get a haircut, you're getting a haircut. <laughs> yes, sir. And then he says, and this is exactly what he says. He said, if the Holy Spirit sent you here today, it's for a reason. We're going to cut your hair. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I sat down in the chair. I said, well, let's talk about this thing. I'm sitting in the chair, starting to get a haircut, and he's telling me the story. And telling me about his daughter. And he says, you know, uh, we were in the hospital yesterday. And uh, he says it was him and his wife, uh, a, young, uh, a young man, 18, 19, 20 years old, who was a friend of the family, and then someone else. And he says, we're all in the hospital. And uh, he says, you know, Scott, he said, I held her for the last 20 minutes of her life. Held her in my arms. When they did their, you know, unplugged the stuff that, you know, the machines that were helping her stay alive. And she took her last breath in my arms. And, um, and I'm facing like everybody else. And he's chopping away and I'm thinking, I wonder what my hair is going to look like after this, man. Because it would be hard to do anything talking about that. And he says, you want to know, know something though? He said, the young man who was in the hospital room with us, he named him. He says, uh, we were in there in those final moments. And he said, yeah, I just went to church this morning in Folsom. And I was at this church where this guy named Scott was talking. And he told me, and John was like, well, I know Scott. And he told me what your message was. And he said, you know what, bro? He said, your message yesterday was exactly what God used when I was holding my daughter in her dying moments to give me hope. And I'm just, I'm like, whoa. There's those times when God, it's, it's evident, right? It's one of those God moments. I'm speaking at a friend's church on Sunday. You giving haircuts out today? Sure, come on in. I'm sitting in his chair, and he says, a young man heard this Yahoo at this church. Here's what he said, and God used that to give John hope in the moment when his daughter was passing into eternity. No. Yeah, praise God for that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. John doesn't have hope if God hadn't become a man. John doesn't have hope unless he embraced the reality 
that Christ is God in the flesh and has gone to the cross to pay the price for his sin and his daughter's. John knows that God's word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He had hope. God gave him hope because his hope was in Christ, and God started it all by stepping out of eternity into our temporary world. He became a man. That's where his hope comes from. That's the Christmas story. That's why this is a big deal. That's why I decided, you know what, I'm taking it back. I'm taking Christmas back because this is what it's all about. God has become a man. And I am with hope. No matter what I walk through, I know God is in the room with me. God is in the room with me. He cares enough about us. He won't leave us alone. Some of you thinking, Scott, man, why are you telling the sad story here? We're talking about the joy of Christmas. It's not a sad story. It's a tragic story. It's a painful story. What would make that story sad is if he had no hope. What would make that story sad is if we thought, okay, this is it. We live, we eat, we sleep, we party, we die. But God chose to reveal himself to us in the person of Christ and become one of us to point us to greater things. That's the Christmas story. That's what it's all about. Let me read this, and I'm going to wrap it up. Back to verse 10, John 1. I'm going to read it in, in its entirety. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, let's not that, let that be our story. We have an advantage here. We can look back and see this. Let's not let that be our story. Not just during the holidays, but in our life, that we not only do we not recognize him, we don't even choose to receive him. Not on my watch, man. If God's for me, then I'm for God. And if God is with me, then there's hope for me. And he can change my life. And the verse goes on and says, Yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, God didn't need permission to enter this world, but he needs an invitation to enter your life. Let him in. Let him in these holidays. When you're partying at the office with your coworkers, Enjoy it, have a blast, but be the person in there who says, you know why we're partying, man? I know why this is going on. Because God walked amongst us. He became a man, and he pointed us to back into relationship with him. When I hear the Christmas carols, I know what they're singing about. When I hear the Christmas story, I know it's more than just a children's story in a cardboard book. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth. God has come to give us hope, and there's joy in that. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we are so, so thankful that you've chosen to become a man and become one of us. You know, Lord, that says so much to me in this moment. It just says that you know what we feel like. You know the challenges that we face. Yeah, you were without sin, but you still know what it's like to experience life as a human being. And so, God, we thank you that you have compassion on us. You're gracious toward us. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who have a relationship with you, we're taking Christmas back. We're taking it back to your glory. We're taking it back to say, you know what, in our life, God, we recognize you, we recognize this, and we acknowledge you. Christmas is about you, and it's about Christ, and that you became a man. So Lord, I pray that you help us to share it with others who may not know that. And Father, I pray for those who may be 
at our campuses right now. Maybe they're in Scottsdale or Santan or online or even here in Chandler. And they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that before they go to sleep tonight, you put it on their heart to just simply talk to you and say, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You were God who became a man and you died for me and you hung on the cross, but you've risen. Be the Lord of my life. Be my savior and give me that joy that comes with knowing that God is with us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.